brought to you with the natural goodness of Viridian Nutrition, available at Browns. I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series, I talk to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers, sportsmen and women, politicians, businessmen and women, and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. About 12 months ago, a beautiful, voluptuous woman came up on my Instagram newsfeed. This wonderful smile and dark brown eyes cut through the usual noise of social media. And I thought to myself, go on, girl, as I pondered how refreshing it was to see a plus-size lass being confident in media. Then I looked at the number of followers she had and realised I was not the only one that felt that way. Emily Jones, or Miss Jones, as she is on Insta, has nearly quarter of a million followers on her page. Astounded and thrilled to see this, I followed Miss Jones as her posts and stories became ever more confident. Emily Jones often refers to her OnlyFans site, and I also became intrigued as I started to investigate who this lovely lady is and how and why she got to the status that she is today. One little sneaky detail is that Emily is also a stunning stage theatre performer and singer. Emily, welcome wow. to the interviewer. There you go. Thank you very much. I've been waiting to see what you were going to say in your intro, so... Is that okay? You're right with that. <laughs> I think that. that was perfectly wonderful. <laughs> Who wouldn't be excited by that? So thank you very much. Well, listen, I am really, really intrigued by your story. And I want to kind of take this apart today. Okay. But before we talk about where you are right now, yeah. I want to talk about your backstory because the direction is relatively new for you for what mm. you're doing right now. Yeah. You were living and working in London as a recruitment consultant. So what happened? That's right. Wow. There's a lot to cover. But uh, yes, basically, I was living and working in the UK and living in London and getting on with things there and enjoying, you know, that kind of corporate London office lifestyle, let's say. Um, and then I fell ill. So that was really, I think, a big kind of turning point for me, um, personally, professionally, just, just in general. I basically started having a lot of aches and pains and thinking that something wasn't quite right. And it kind of got to the stage where I felt physically like I couldn't move at all, struggling to get get in and out of the office kind of thing, um, which led to my diagnosis of uh, inflammatory arthritis, which a lot of people might be a bit more familiar with rheumatoid arthritis, which is a very similar kind of condition. It's just some small details of where it's not so similar. Um, and fibromyalgia, which I was diagnosed with a little bit further down the line. But um, yeah, I had a really tumultuous journey with that and had to give up work because I was really unwell. Well, this is one of the questions that I wanted to ask you because rheumatoid arthritis or inflammatory arthritis, I think uh, some of us are familiar with that and it's yeah. an autoimmune. It's where the yes. body is attacking itself. Exactly. There is a, a wide range of yes. psoriasis or arthritis. It, 
all exactly. autoimmune diseases where, where the body uh, attacks itself. But fibromyalgia is a condition I'm not very familiar mm. with, but I do know that it can be quite chronic and extremely painful. Yes. Um, fibro, I think, is quite widely misunderstood. I feel like it's kind of coming to light a bit more as of lately. People are becoming a bit more educated around the subject, and I do think that social media has been a massive, has had a massive impact on that. Um, but essentially, it's a collection of symptoms and widespread pain. Um, but as I say, it's kind of pain, but there's other symptoms that come along with it as well. So, for example, fibro sufferers would be more prone to headaches, um, have more painful periods. Um, personally, I have a lot of skin sensitivity. So whereas you might think that, you know, if, so if you have a little knock here or, or somebody presses you there or something or you bash your shoulder and it seems like it's not such a big deal to somebody with fibromyalgia that can feel a hundred times more painful than it would for somebody without fibro so it makes you very sensitive it's uh, you're definitely a very sensitive person certainly physically when you have that type of condition yeah so it's so very this came along do you mind me asking how mm. old were you when you diagnosed with this um i was diagnosed i think i was about 24 25 and yeah. this is debilitating yes it when it's the disease is not controlled for certainly for me and for other people with the same condition it's completely debilitating in, entirely from every minute of your day I mean it's sort of for me it's normally widespread pain a lot of difficulty moving my arms raising my arms so lifting a glass of water to, to my mouth would be something I wouldn't be able to do in a flare it just controls every aspect of your life really it's it's intense it was intense so there you are in London yes Having a successful career. Yeah, yeah. And this comes along. You get diagnosed with this condition, yes, these conditions. Yes, yes. And what then? Well, it was um, quite an isolating experience, I would say, and quite frightening. And I really just thought to myself, what is going to come? I really didn't know what was going to be coming next. And I was really frightened about it all. You know, I have to say that I was very grateful to have the support of an amazing family. Um, my mum, who lived in Malta at the time, sort of, I, I feel that she kind of came over and sorted me out a little bit, which is what I needed. So I was at the stage where I was kind of ready to just, uh, you know, I was just saying, I'm just going to just gonna quit my job because I just can't cope with it anymore. And, you know, my mum sort of sat me down and said, come on, let's tr not be hasty. Let's do things the correct way. It's clear that something's you know, going on, you've got a disability and you're entitled to some kind of um, sick leave or compensation or your workplace should be able to make some adjustments for you. So it was a real kind of learning experience. And whereas I was ready to just kind of throw in the towel, which would have left me in a very difficult place, um, you know, I was able to kind of think things through a little bit more clearly with her help and also seeking advice from professionals as well, Citizens Advice Bureau, my GP. Um, so I think it's really, again, something I would really encourage um, in other people who might be in a similar situation struggling with their health. 
um, not to make any rash decisions and to try to make sure that, you know, you're going down the path that's going to leave you in the best position, basically. So then yeah. the next stage of your journey. So you, yes. you've discovered that yes. you've got this and you, so, you've slowed down this decision to, to quit your yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, unfortunately, I was told that I had to leave, basically. So I was... I lost my job is the way that I would put it um, at the time. I mean, it's just so crazy to think that now we're talking about we're in a post-COVID world where everything is done online, everybody's working from home. But at the time when I was asking for working from home or some flexibility because I was disabled, um, I was told that that wouldn't work for the business model. It's a, a bit of a sore point for me, I have to admit. I have no doubt. Yeah, but... You know, I feel like I really do believe that everything happens for a reason, as cliched as it sounds. But sometimes I feel that you have to think that when you're going through these types of situations and just think somehow the dust is going to settle and it's going to be okay. Do you know what I mean? But in this instance, yeah. the dust settled and you went through your yes. journey and it was very much more than okay. Yeah, I'd say so. So following on from that, I had a period where I wasn't working for a couple of years and was just sort of trying to kind of keep myself. I felt very lost. I was coming, kind of also coming to terms with my disability and, you know, what that really meant for me and I also think that it's very interesting what people's perception or definition of disability you know there was a lot of me as I say coming to terms with that and thinking to myself okay you know am I really disabled is that a label I even want to have you know it was there's a lot of this kind of um, identity surrounding that kind of disability label and also wondering what other people think of you. And I went through a whole load of mixed emotions about what people were thinking of me, that I wasn't working, you know, I, I was on benefits. I just felt like a complete flop and a failure. And I felt like I almost had to remind myself, like, hey, you know, you are really sick here. This isn't just... You're not just being lazy, but as, I think, yeah. As you said on Insta, it's an invisible disability. Yes. So a lot of people can make an assumption that everything's fine with exactly. you. Exactly. And to be honest, I really feel that that is like, it's it's a huge thing. You know, it's, it was a real area of difficulty for me because I felt that people would see me sort of young chubby woman like maybe you know uh limping or struggling to do something or taking the lift instead of the stairs and I just felt that people were just looking down their noses at me and thinking look at this lazy judging you. fat cow yeah judging me exactly um so I think it kind of part of the whole process of coming to terms with that has been learning to sort of stand up for myself and also learning to say I don't have to answer to anybody you know it's just this kind of confrontational vibe around it especially for example if I had a blue badge and I would park in blue badge bays when I needed it and just felt that there were lots of eyes wondering what's wrong with you and if you're just a fat cow kind of thing that's sort of the um, the vibe that I would say, the overriding vibe. Then how yeah. do you go from okay. being at home and okay. having a blue badge and, and yeah. having a disability yes. to being a public persona yes. with yes. at least on one Instagram page, nearly yeah, quarter of a yeah, million followers? Yes, yeah. So, okay, so I would say the general kind of, the, the basic journey was that I was sort of, as I say, a little bit lost. I was wondering what 
the hell I was going to be doing with myself once I'd got to the stage where I felt that I could maybe work a couple of days a week. So I was wondering, I was just thinking, where the hell is this this going? Um, and then, unfortunately, my mum fell ill, which I'm sure you probably know from following my stories. It's uh, I'd never know when I talk about this whether I'm going to be able to get through it all without getting upset. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, um, it's a heartbreaking situation, but uh, my mum fell ill with a brain tumour which was discovered very dramatically and suddenly, really out of the blue. Um, my mum and dad both live in Malta. As I say, I was living in London at the time. Um, so when mum fell ill, as I say, very suddenly and very seriously, I sort of said, OK, well, I've got to come and, and be with her. At the time, we were told that she would only have six months. So I sort of felt like, OK, I want to be with her every second. And again, this is something that sometimes I feel that there was some, I don't know whether I'd call it a divine intervention or whatever, you know, if I hadn't lost my job, I wouldn't have been able to have that time with mum. Do you know what I mean? So it was just such a precious thing. Anyway, we are, we've just passed the four year anniversary of her, of the discovery of her tumour. So just shows you, you really can't plan these things or know where life is taking you because as I say, she was given six months and here we are four She's years still later. with us? Yeah. She is. I Emily, mean, I, this is incredible. Yeah, so it's a very, um, it's a difficult one because she's not, she, she's, she's not well at all and it has, she has regressed. So she's not, she's not in a good place at the moment. So it's a very difficult one to talk about, to be honest, but... Yes, I think it is something that I've kind of been coming to terms with over the last few years anyway. In the first few years, couple of years of her illness, I was going back and forth between Malta and the UK, coming and spending some time with mum, looking after her, and then head, heading back to London. After a while, kind of once things sort of stabilised a little bit with her kind of routine of treatment, and I was back in my kind of childhood bedroom, let's say, um, and I was just bored. I was just really bored and felt that it, everything was just so mundane. You know, it was like we're talking chemo, radiation, every day thinking about this, that and the other. And it was just so heavy, so, so heavy. And I'd kind of been toying with the idea of starting an Instagram page for a while. I'd always been interested in maybe blogging or doing something along those lines, but never really knew where what my angle would be. And I kept seeing all of these like gorgeous plus size models on Instagram and thinking to myself wow like look at that gorgeous woman she's so confident um you know stylish so not just wearing any old crappy plus size clothes but like really looking good and making me feel better about myself and thinking and I thought to myself do you know what I can do this and a lot of my friends would kind of say to me, you know, you should start an Instagram page, you do this, whatever. And I always kind of had it in the back of my mind, but I just sort of thought, I just thought it would be something that would take a long time to get going. So I kind of thought to myself, if I start now, maybe in three or four years, I'll have a bit of a following. So I just literally just said, sod it, like I'm just going to start. Um, and I started... But what was the goal? When you sat down, you, was it to be, to, to emulate or to empathise with your role models, um, these larger ladies who are looking glamorous? Is that mm, what you wanted to do? I think I've always been very clear that 
I do my own thing. That's kind of something that's very important to me, actually. So, no, I would say not really emulating, but maybe being inspired by. Okay. Um, and just, I think, kind of just seeing somebody else do well who you think kind of maybe looks a little bit like you or has the same body shape yeah, as yeah. you. So then you kind of think to yourself, well, if they're doing it, why can't I, you know? I just started kind of playing around with with some mirror selfies and some pictures. Like, I re- I'll never forget kind of one of my best friends from college. He sort of, I sort of said to him, yeah, you know, I'm trying to kind of like get a few things going with Instagram. And he said, yeah, yeah, I saw you posted something the other day. And he said, oh, I thought you were just, uh, you know, trying to pull you know when you start out you feel a little bit like oh god you know I hope this is going to work out because otherwise you kind of feel a bit like uh, say that you've put yourself out there Um, but it picked up traction so so quickly and it was such it was really such a whirlwind I I don't know maybe up maybe up to my first kind of hundred thousand followers it was just yeah, Hang it was on just there. okay. Okay, <laughs> Emily, you can stop right there because well, I, I've been on Instagram forever and I have 3,000 followers. And I know a lot of influencers here in Malta who've been on Instagram forever and they don't talk about 100,000 yeah, followers. How yeah. did you get <laughs> from? I mean, what was the formula? Well, How, what, well what? when I seriously, what? So, when I first started, I really plowed all of my energy into it. So, I found it, it was such an adrenaline rush seeing these numbers growing and people enjoying my content I just kind of thought okay this is this is great and this is just selfies these are just photos yeah of yourself. pretty much yeah oh yeah it's all um it's you yeah and all done by me with my phone set up I mean I say a tripod but more often than not it's resting against you know a bookcase or a makeup mirror or you know just kind of quite just uh, photos of you and yeah, stories yeah, yeah. and things that you're yeah, doing. Yeah, and stories, I think, a little bit, maybe maybe more in the beginning, where I felt that I really kind of wanted to um, show some personality and not just, you know, the curves or the whatever. Like, I wanted it to be, I wanted to show that I had a little bit more, there was a bit more behind it. And at the time, I really felt that I had a lot to say. There. But I'm going to come back to that magic question again. Yes. A lot of people do that. A lot of people yeah. do that on socials. What well, was what was the magic formula that took you from, you know, what normal people would yeah, have yeah. to nearly quarter of a million well, followers? Well, I certainly, you know, wouldn't really be able to answer that um, scientifically. I couldn't. I couldn't really tell you. But why do I think people follow me? Um, I think I do think it's because of this kind of um, obsession with being myself and you know I just I refuse to filter edit airbrush anything out of my my photos so sometimes there'll be a picture and like you know I'll be looking at it and thinking should I put that up shouldn't I you know we're kind of picking it apart and thinking okay well you know that part would have been a bit better if that was smoothed out or whatever but but I won't do it because I just feel very strongly about that about um, having something real to look at and a bit of authenticity and representation for things that so many people embody but we don't see online. And I feel as though it's kind of like something that we've all been harping on about for so long, but um, that's really important to me. So I, I feel that that's a big part of, of why I've why I've gained followers. That's what people tell me anyway. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, you, you also share 
progressively as you've gone through your Instagram mm -hmm. journey, you mm -hmm. have shared more of you. Mm. And you have, in terms of, there's a little bit more flesh than there was to begin mm. with. And you look stunning. And as I said, right at the very beginning, I see you and I'm like, good Lord, go on, girl. <laughs> you know, sorry to be frightfully frightful, but, you know, really seriously cheering you on because you've embraced it. You've just gone, this is me. I'm not going to try and change myself. I'm yeah. not going to try and lose weight. And we, we've got a lot of influencers at the moment who are slim talking about how we are conditioned to be slim mm. and complaining about being mm. slim. Mm. And you sort of don't take them very seriously because mm. when they're complaining about how the pressure is to be slim and yet then they are slim yeah, themselves. Yeah, I mean, I just feel that... A, it loses some of that authenticity. I think so. I just think it's kind of, you know, well, it's just talking from a place of privilege, isn't it? And I feel a little bit sometimes that it's kind of jumping on a bandwagon of things. So they feel yeah. maybe that that's a relatable thing to talk about or a kind of in thing to talk about. But, you know, you have to kind of know your privilege, I would say. One thing, for example, that I'm that's really interesting is I shared an experience that I had um, with a gynecologist um, about six months ago, I would say something like that. So I went for my routine smear test, which, you know, is something again, to your listeners, whilst we're on the platform, I will say, be sure to book your, your smear test in. <laughs> Very important to keep up with those types of things. But I know it's something that we all kind of put off because... It's not the most pleasant. Um, but I had this experience where I had, had been to the gynecologist and she'd made a, she made a, a remark about my weight. Um, and she basically commented that she said something like, you know, you've put on a hell of a lot of weight since I saw you last. Actually, just wasn't, it just wasn't the case because I hadn't. So I think she might have mixed me up with somebody else. I, I wasn't sure. And I spoke about this on my story and sort of mentioned how I felt I don't know I just felt like kind of you know I'm quite a kind of strong quite a resilient personality but falling into the, onto the wrong ears that could set somebody back but it was just so interesting to me the amount of messages that I had from women telling me that this is why I don't go for my smear test. This is why I haven't been for my smear test for the last five years. Because last time I went, someone made a comment about this or a comment about that. So I just think to myself, you know, if there's any way that we can protect women's health, you know, a smear test is something that's really important. And the fact that people are being put off from going for their medical appointments because of some inappropriate comments it's just shocking but you've gone from being anonymous to being this mm. role model mm. in a very mm. short period of time and you do have people aligning with you and identifying with you yes is that not a huge responsibility I mean to be honest I kind of don't really think about it like that I, I just I don't really think about how many people are seeing my things or watching my stories I think you but they are coming and talking to you. How, how do yeah. you respond to that? Yeah. Well, I do my best to respond. <laughs> but I'm quite notorious for being awful at getting back to people. Um, but I've sort of just accepted that as part, you know, it's just part of it. I mean, I kind of think to myself, they, 
as you think about people who are so much more famous and important than me, and I kind of think to myself, well, do they have time to answer all of their DMs? Probably not. Like, you know, do you know what I mean? You kind of, you do your best, but personally, I've got lots of things taking my energy almost away from, away from it. I almost feel as though I haven't been doing things properly because of everything that's been going on in my personal life, mainly with, with dealing with my mother's cancer, um, that I feel that I haven't even really begun, to be honest, because I feel that I'm kind of... I wouldn't exactly say that I feel I'm on a back foot with it, but I always feel that my energy is kind of split. Well, that leads me very nicely onto another question I'm yes. really dying to ask you, because I've asked influencers this before. If you're an influencer, you have to keep feeding mm, the machine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Does that not become exhausting? Um, Are there not yes. days when you've gone <laughs> yes. to see family or, or you've just had a, you know, or, or you're on holiday, you've just recently yeah, on holiday yes, in, in, yeah. in Lapland? Nice. Yes, yeah. yeah, it was really nice. But, but you have to keep feeding the beast. Well, and and yes. these are influencers who have a tenth and less of mm. the followers that you have, and even they're saying... You know, off. You know, sometimes I don't want to. Yeah, and and they've had to plan every shot yeah, when they're yeah, on holiday. Yeah. Well, the way I do things is I kind of think to myself, look, I'm doing my bloody best in the situation where the, that I'm in. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes I have to kind of stop and say to myself, like, um, you know, think about it. Like you're dealing with your this situation with your mother, various other things going on. So it's kind of like, okay, let's not put too much pressure on here and let's step back and assess the situation and think okay actually you're doing all right for yourself all things considered so that's number one I think it's very important to be patient with yourself and and kind to yourself and not berate yourself um and then I would say it's kind of like a little bit a little bit of a balance of things so it's my job so I think we all have days where we think, oh, I can't be bothered with work today, can't be bothered to do that, can't be bothered. But we do, because that's our job. Um, and then also, obviously, it's really fun. So... <laughs> okay, you do have a point there. You, I mean... So, you know, it is fun, even when it can be tedious, it's fun. So, for example, as you're talking about my... Lapland stay, yes. Um, you know, I was very kind of thought to myself, right, I'm going to be in this amazing location. I've got to make sure I've got a few things to shoot. And I, I will normally have a few ideas in mind of what I'm planning to do. You, I mentioned before that you do show a bit of flesh. Mm -hmm. Where in Instagram do you draw the line? Because we'll talk about OnlyFans in a minute, but where do you draw the line? And I... I'm kind of nervous to say this, but some women might perceive images as being degrading to women. Right. But do you ever get women oh asking you that um, or commenting on that? To be honest, the main, the the really the only times that I have that is when I've been featured in any Maltese press, and then I have a lot of local ladies who who seem to have a bit of a problem with it but I feel like that's maybe just like a cultural or generational kind of thing um but you know I'm of the generation that you know I, I don't place my value solely on my body my body's just my my husk my shell you know it just kind of I just think we all need to lighten up with it a little bit to be honest and also I think something a really important point to make is that if you see a plus size woman doing something, wearing something, posing in a certain way that you've got a problem with, 
would you have a problem with somebody who was a size six doing the exact same thing? So there's a real double standard there automatically. So I think that this kind of movement that I feel that I am part of is a little bit like, okay, well, do you have a problem with with the clothes? Am I being inappropriate? Or are you just reflecting your judgments back onto me because of your perception of what a fuller-figured woman should be looking Emily like? Emily Jones, I really like, like you. Oh. I really <laughs> like the fact that you come back from these questions with a very, very intelligent and psychologically grounded oh, answer thank you. Well, it's not really just a whim it's say. like well no i think it's a, i think it's an important th- i have one last question for mm-hmm. you because we talked then about turning it into a business so you, of instagram somebody asked me just today how do you make money from instagram well you normally make money from instagram by sponsorship yeah, and endorsement exactly, yeah. but you've taken it a little bit step further because you have an only fans site yes, yes I do, which yeah. is monetized yes yeah. And as soon as I said OnlyFans, yeah. you just went with the biggest grin on your face. You're like, oh, let's talk about that, girlfriend. Well, I just feel that it's something that people are very always very curious about. Yes, so, I am. Yeah. Tell me about so that. So what do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> and Emily calls me out. <laughs> you, you, rightly so, in an interview with Love in Malta, you said that it's got a reputation for being X-rated content because yeah. nothing is off limits there. Yeah, but yeah, you yeah, can yeah. technically post whatever you like. It's just a place for more premium content uh, that you can access freely. And yes. you, you've made it very clear that OnlyFans is just for monetizing content. Yeah, which I understand. Yeah, but is that you also infer in your Instagram that? If you do go to any fans, yes. fans and find yes. you, yeah. you're going to find something a little bit more racy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly what it is, basically. So I would say that, it, rightly so, as you said, you cannot make in- money through Instagram. It's not like, well, actually, it's something that they're hoping to introduce, I believe. But it's not like YouTube or TikTok, where a certain number of views will relay to money in your bank account. You know, you have to do the business development through there. So as you say ads, sponsorships, things like that, Um, where, you know, like, I've been approached about so many different things where I, you know, you could get a quick buck from this, quick buck from that, whatever, but it hasn't, if it's not something that I'm kind of passionate about or that I would actually use, I would, I wouldn't sort of go ahead with that type of deal. So I think that that's a little bit of a, a, a compromise as well and a bit of a payoff. So I feel that by doing my OnlyFans, I can kind of keep my content a little bit more on my Instagram to what I would like it to be without having to think about posting for a brand deal or a sponsorship. So that's kind of one thing that I love about OnlyFans. So I was just uh, like meddling through, just started my started my Instagram maybe like three, four months prior to to being invited to start OnlyFans. Um, and I had, I kind of st- still hadn't started making any money off it yet and was kind of thinking, you know, when are these deals all going to start dropping out of the sky that everybody says once you get a following, you know, you start making money. And I had a message from somebody saying like, oh, love your page. And she had a really big page, about 450,000 followers at the time. And she sort of said, um, I hope uh, it's proving lucrative to you. So, of course, that caught my caught my interest because I thought, no, it's not. And I'd like it to be, you know, what what are you saying? What are you saying? Um, And so that's how I met my my mentor who has mentored me through 
OnlyFans and starting my OnlyFans, who basically suggested that I start one and kind of gave me a little bit of a a guide as to what I should do or what I could do and how it could work. Um, So I thought about it. I did give it quite a lot of thought before I started. It wasn't something that I just kind of upped and did right away, spoke about it with my family, for example, and some friends, and then just decided to go ahead, basically. So I I made my OnlyFans page and... um, we are coming on in September, well, let's say September, it's two and a half years, two and a half years I've been doing it now, so... And this is a real income, this is an income more yeah, than you were making it, in London. It can be, it can be, I would say kind of, you know, I'm very, like, reluctant to kind of say, like, oh, you know, you can make amazing money on it, I think you can, but it can also be very average, for me, for other people, you know, it really just depends on a few different things. But I would say that this kind of idea that just starting an OnlyFans automatically means dollar signs is not always the case. So I do want people to be very aware of that. And I've spoken about that quite a lot in the past, um, as I know there is also a real kind of, whilst I know that people have their opinions on it and it can be thought of as, as just the worst thing ever, there are a lot of people, I think, who glamorise it. Um for example, um, I follow a very popular TikTok account, um, this young lady called Anna Paul, and she's amazing. And I love following her because all of her content is pretty much daily vlogs and that type of thing. Um, she's got, I think she's got over a million followers on TikTok. Um, but she's an OnlyFans girl and she's like Australia's number one OnlyFans page. So she's really successful. And I love watching her because she's just always having the best time going off and doing all of these cool things. And obviously I'm watching it as a 32-year-old woman who has OnlyFans. I can sort of take a little bit of a more maybe critical look at what she's doing. But I do see lots of girls in her comments, sort of very young girls saying, you know, like, I, I I want to be just like you when I grow up. You know, what do you do? Because I want to do the same thing, that type of thing. So I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I just feel that we need to talk about things a little bit more, maybe with our children, and um, be a bit more open open about these types of things, really. You know... We talked about family there. Yeah. Um, your parents, your family, everyone in your family, your friends, they, they totally embraced you being on OnlyFans? I mean, I'd say so. I think they kind of didn't really have much of a choice, to be honest. <laughs> but I did sit everybody down, as I say, before I decided to go ahead and sort of said, listen, I'm thinking of doing this. This is kind of pretty much what it's going to entail. So just so that you're aware and there's no nasty surprises, you know, and... Sort of, I think they just kind of looked into it a little bit and then said, okay, well, you know what you're doing. I mean, you know, as I say, at the end of the day, I am a 32-year-old woman, so it's not like uh, anybody can really have a say. (laughs) I I, I feel that I've kind of made the best out of a difficult situation for myself, for my family, um, and helped myself get to a position where things are a bit more comfortable, um, again, based on not knowing where things were going with my life, with my career, with my finances. So I think that's all a a kind of perfect storm that led to this decision. If you don't mind me, Emily, I'm going to contradict you. Right. Because you say done okay out of this situation. I'm going to completely agree with this. I would say that anybody who's been in your situation where at one point you pretty much 
lost the world that you knew. Mm. You've embraced this new path. Mm. You've done incredibly well. And talking to you today has been so refreshing and so surprising. And I want to say thank you so much. I could talk to you forever, but we really (laughs) have talked forever. (laughs) So I'm going to say thank you ever so much indeed. And I'm pretty sure later on in the year, I'll be messaging you again and say, come and come onto the show and let's talk about this again. But I am thoroughly, thoroughly thrilled for you for turning around the situation that looks so bleak Mm -hmm. into something so positive and it beams and radiates from you as a human being oh well that's what I would only that's always been what I kind of aspire to so honestly when you're saying all these nice things I don't know what to say it makes me you're making me blush but (laughs) that's that's so lovely thank you and I think sometimes we need to need to have a reminder as I say it's not not just for myself but for other people out there you know you're doing your best you're doing what you can and you must try to make the, the most out of your life and out of your situation. Things are going to be, cards are going to be dealt to you that you don't expect, that you don't want, and you can't change that. So the only thing that you can change is what you do in those circumstances. So just You're a stunning stick role with model. it. Stunning role model, Emily oh. Jones. Thank you so much for being with me in the interview. Thank you for having me. Lovely. Lovely.